Thanks, Phil. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't said it yet, Happy New Year, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's, um, I'm going to talk about the New Year this morning, and um, I think that some of the stuff that Scott shared and in our songs have given us a really good indication of the temperature, if you like, or the sense or uh, the focus of our New Year and what it should be. Um, you know, I was thinking this week, I was back in the office this week and I'm thinking, here we are at the beginning of another year. You know, and for, for those of you that are getting a little bit older, like me, a little bit older, like me, do you notice how this happens more frequently? How it seems to come faster? You, know, you think, gee, I was just sitting here at the start of last year, you know. Um, but here we are at the beginning of another year and it's no secret that the last two years have been tough. And it's probably also uh, not a secret that many of us, if not most of us, probably look a little bit tentatively towards the year ahead. Anyone in that, in that boat? And you sort of think, uh, you know, looking a, bit, looking a year ahead and thinking... And, and I do that most years anyway. I have a look and I think, oh, you know. Oftentimes it's, I wonder what God's going to have this year or wonder what's going to happen this year. But there's this added thing for us sometimes when we look at the last couple of years, isn't it? Now, I'm not one really for New Year's resolutions, but I do tend at this time, like I say, to look ahead and try to figure out how to enter it. How, you know, what is it and how should I, what should my attitude or my, how should I enter this year, this new year with God? What, what should I prepare for? What, what can I prepare for? You know, um, how, how should I focus on the year ahead? And I'm guessing most of us do that in some way or form. You know, and um, this year ahead, there might, uh, there probably will be challenges for, for most of us, for many of us, perhaps. Maybe those challenges will be in a, in a, a personal area, you know, and you're just developing yourself and figuring out how, how I move forward or dealing with issues in your own life. And sometimes it's in your family and, and you're looking ahead at the year and you think, wow, there, there could be some challenges in the family, things that we need to deal with or, or have to deal with. And you know, uh, churches have challenges. Anyone ever figured that out yet? You know, there could be challenges in our church and things that we need to walk through as a church and as a community of believers. And it's no secret that as a nation, uh, and the world basically, but as a nation, we'll have challenges to walk through in the next year. And so it can be a little bit, when you start a new year, it can be a little bit like standing and staring in a distance. Or, you know, like the old, the old analogy of looking at these railway tracks that go forever and ever, or a road, or, or maybe you're standing at a high point. It can be like standing at a distance and staring into the distance and wondering what's out there, or if you know what's out there, how do I get there? And what's more, with the echo of the last two years and even what's going on around us now, it can be hard to have hope and you know I'd like to think that that I you know can can beat most things but I mean even you know I have times when it can be hard to have hope you're thinking how do we how does this how do we move forward in this it can be hard to have hope it can be hard to aspire to aspire to something great it can be hard to have courage to to go for it this year I'm just going to go for it. Anyone, anyone got that sort of sense? If you're just going to go for it, you're all looking very lethargic. Did you wake up really early this morning or something like that? 
You know, sometimes it can be hard to have that sense like, you know, I've had, and I'm honest here, I've had better years when, when I haven't had the last two years behind me and, and all these surprises of the last two years where I've had a year that thought, I'm just going to go for it this year. I can see everything before me. It looks great. And it can be hard to be like that sometimes, can't it? Or to have trust that you can actually go for it. But on the other hand, there might be new paths, there might be new things, there might be new callings for you, there might be new desires that you're willing to sort of, you're, you're waiting to, to unwrap and, and things that you want to discover. It could be changes and, or new opportunities coming your way this year. It could be in business, it, it could be in a job, it could be in a family or, 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 or something that you're looking at that, looking ahead at that year ahead, couldn't it? It could be. There could be new challenges and you're looking forward to new starts. New things, perhaps. See, I believe that we can have hope. I believe that we can have courage. We can trust. And we can aspire to what God has for us. We fix our eyes in the direction of God, the right one, the right place to look at. So when I get to Isaiah 43, this is one of my favourite sections of scripture to ponder at the start of a new year. And back in 2016, I spoke on this scripture in my first new, in, the, in the start of a new year message, and I was saying that, and I didn't just pull it out of the drawer and, and read, you know, there might be a few points that were similar, but I was saying to Phil in the office, I said, oh, look, you know, I always feel bad about that, doing the, the same thing again and getting an old sermon out and looking at what are some of the points are. And she said, oh, just do it. No one will notice. I said, no, not one hope. They'd all know, right? <laughs> it's not the same sermon. Background to Isaiah 43. I always think a little bit of background is a really good way to understand what's going on and why things are being said. So a real short background. These people are in exile. God's people are in exile. That is not a great place to live. That is not a great way to live. It's been tough for them for more than just the past two years. And arguably it's been way tougher than perhaps we've had it in the last two years. And what this has done is it's often left them in the place of despair, um, despondent, you know, wondering, you know, what's the point, where's God? Uh, they get focused on their own circumstances. If you read through Isaiah and, you're, and you, sort of, you sort of apply out the, the things that, that God is telling Isaiah to tell the people, they're, you know, they're focused on their own circumstances. And that makes it really hard. When they're focused on their own circumstances, it's making it really hard for them to believe or understand God's words. And if you have a look at the verse, I'll read verse 1 and 2 of um, Israel, Isaiah 43. And these are verse 1 and 2. But now, says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you won't be burnt, and the flame shall not consume you. Beautiful words, aren't they? But the problem is when you're focused on your own circumstances, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to understand how. You can say that, God, but it's, it's hard to, to understand why or, or, or even should they understand or believe God's words. But not only that, they were dealing with sin and failure as God's people. And time and time again, they turned their back on God. And Isaiah is full of judgment. They've done it again. 
They had believed lies. They had abandoned God. They'd worshipped the local idols. They'd, they'd established false allegiances and alliances. They were looking to other places for relief because exile is not a pleasant place to be. They were looking to other places and other sources for relief, for, for help, for salvation to God. They were looking somewhere else for their salvation. And God wants to remind them that I am your only saviour. And so through the prophet in Isaiah 43, God is saying they must look to him and only to him as their only saviour. He would be their rescue. As he promised, and right through scripture, right back through them when they were going through the desert, he promised that I will be your saviour. You are my people. And he's going to tell them where to look to see hope. Instead of being distracted by the past, instead of being distracted by the circumstances, instead of being distracted by their failure or their sin, he's going to tell them where to look and he's going to tell them why to look there. And I believe that these words at the start of a new year, wherever you are, wherever we are as a community, wherever you are as an individual, I think these words can be just as true for us. So what does he say? Well, he begins like this in verse, um, in verse, in, um, verse 18. Do not remember the former things. As we said, they were mired in the desperate circumstances of captivity and exile. And again, that probably wasn't pleasant. We don't need to go into all the examples. But when you're in exile, when you're a prisoner, you don't usually get to do all the fun things that you'd like to do if you were free. But God wanted to set their eyes on the new work that he was already doing. They were focused on the things that were happening and had happened. But God wanted to set their eyes on the new work that he was already doing. So he began with a reminder not to remember the former things. Because if they were stuck in their failure and sin, if they were stuck in their discouragement of the past, they would never go forward to the new thing that God had for them. And for us, the same thing is true. And the NIV has a better word, I think. It's a bit, I like the word better. It says, Do, uh, don't dwell on the former things. And dwell is that, has that sense of hang around there, live there, make a home in that place. And God is saying, don't dwell in the past. Don't make a home. Don't live in that place. You notice it doesn't say ignore the past or don't learn from the past. In fact, earlier in Isaiah 43, God spends time encouraging them to remember the past, particularly the good things that he'd done for them, to raise their hope, to raise their understanding of his love for them. And I've said this before up here, and, and I, I, I got this, Johan years ago used to use this analogy. I don't know why we were in a, maybe it was in the Hope Builders days. We used to use this analogy where, you know, um, when you're driving a car, the windscreen is much bigger than the mirror. Where you're going is much bigger than where you've been, isn't it? And if you look, you look in the mirror, it's important to look in the mirror and see what's behind you, to be aware of what's behind you, but you're looking ahead. But likewise... Have you ever tried to drive a car just looking in the mirror? Doesn't go well for very long, does it? Why is that? Because if you're continually looking in the past, you can't be focused on looking forward. And God wants his people to do that. We mustn't dwell or hang out in the failure and the sin or in our circumstances, in the things that, um, that have troubled us. 
We mustn't dwell there, feeling it, reliving it, staying wounded by it, using it as an excuse not to move forward, staying in our hurt and staying in places where we're wounded and not moving forward. Don't dwell there. Do not remember the former things. God is saying, don't look for me there. I'm not there. I've moved. Why don't look for me there? Because then he says, because behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? Can't you see it? Staying stuck in the past can, can keep us from the new things that God wants to do. If Israel stayed stuck in their sin and the discouragement and the seduction of Babylon, they would never look to God. They would never look to the new thing he was doing. They would never see their release from exile through God's amazing work. They wouldn't see what God was doing. They wouldn't see him. You know, he'd just spoken in the, the chapter before, and it's really funny, read the chapter four in Isaiah 42, and it's entitled, you know, their failure to see and hear God. He's just told them that they, they, they failed to see and hear him. And he's saying, no, look, look at me. And for us, this is important too. And maybe it's obvious. And this is not new information for most of you. Might be obvious, but it bears saying. We sing, sing songs like, Lead me, Lord, take me where you're going, you know, things like that, using that kind of language. But we must be looking at Him and for Him all the time. Because if we're stuck in our own disappointments or our own discouragement or our own fear or our own hurt, then we're looking at ourselves, we're looking at our circumstances. In fact, we're looking for God in the wrong places. And at best, we're blinkered, if not blinded, to what he might be doing uh, in, in our families, in our own life, in our church, in, in society, in the opportunities he has for us, and where he might be leading. You see, the faith to follow is built on keeping our sights on God and not. That faith comes from keeping our eyes fixed on God and not on ourselves and our own circumstances. And I love the words that God, like the language that God uses where he says, I am. You know, we, we did a series, it was a couple of years ago, we did that series on I am. Who was around for that? You know, that I am. And they're amazing words because they're always. It isn't I was doing a new thing or I will do it, I am. Which means he always is. We're always, we can always look to God because it's always current. I am doing a new thing. I'm consistently moving in your life and moving ahead of you. That's an always statement. This is the I am that never changes. Always moving, always doing new things. And that whole now it springs forth. Have a look. That's an invitation. You know, I'm, you know, now it springs forth. Can you see it? Can you, can you see it? There's almost a bit of fatherly excitement in that. Can you imagine, you know, a, a father or mother sees something magnificent and grabs a kid, hey, look, can you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that shooting star? Did you see that? There's an excitement in that. God's saying, I'm doing a new thing. Can you see it? Look. We do that by staying in step with the Holy Spirit in us. God asks us the same question at the start of 2022. Will you stay in step with my spirit? Will you see when he leads us into something new? Will you see it? Will you look to him? Or are we stuck looking at, oh, gee, the last two years were tough. I don't know about this year and I don't know whether I can do this. I don't know whether I want to do that. I don't know if, you know, if it's worth doing this or that. 
And then God goes on to show them the how. And perhaps in their mind, it's how they're going to be released from exile practically, how it's all going to finish, and and maybe they're going to come into a time of peace. But God goes to show them how. He says, I will make a way, a road, in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And this is the I am that says this. I, I, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You see, between the captivity in Babylon and the return to Israel, there were hundreds of miles of wilderness and they might have been, how are we going to get to that place? But God's people didn't need to be afraid because God would make a road, a way in the wilderness. He would provide rivers in the desert. He would provide the way and he would sustain them as well. This whole rivers in, in the desert, this whole sense of water in the Bible, rivers are, are, are a metaphor for sustenance, keep you alive, that give you everything that you need. <clears throat> Often when we look forward or we hear messages like this, or we might read a promise that God made, we worry about the details. Well, I do anyway. Or the obstacles. You know, that if, if God's made a promise, we sense that God's made a promise and we worry about those promises. And God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it at all. I can even make, and I will even make a road in the wilderness. I can make connections between places that, that you can't. You know, I can remember flying um, in, in Africa many years ago in my YOM days. I was in Malawi and I had to fly from the south, southern tip of Malawi to the north. And the only plane in that little town was a little plane that had, I don't know, 10 passengers or so. And I can still remember flying across, you know, and, and it wasn't as high as a normal plane. But I can still remember flying across all of these towns and looking down and, and Africa's unique to look at and you can see this town springs out of nowhere and there's just this town joining the towns the connections and I always think of that when I read this that's what God does he makes connections that provide sustenance because those roads are needed for those towns to get food to get water to get supplies to get medicine and all that sort of stuff that's what God does that's the picture I get I will make a road in the wilderness, even for the way that he's leading you, the things that he's taking you to. I have resources and plans that you don't even know about, says God. Leave all those problems to me. See, God has the resources and he has the power to guide us into what he has for us. The question is, are we ready to go with him? Are we ready to work with him? Are you ready to let him work through you? You see, we don't need the resources, his resources, if we're not anticipating or aspiring to be used by God or to go with him into the new thing. If we only need to sustain what we're already doing, where you are right now, if you're going to stay where you are, looking at yourself and looking at your circumstances, you won't need many of those resources that God's talking about. If you're not moving, you don't need a way, you don't need a road. And the analogy of streams or the river in the desert is so encouraging because even that speaks to us of life, of sustenance. You know, the psalmist says, what's the best place to be planted for life and fruitfulness? It's by the river. That's where the tree is planted. That's where he gets strong. But the interesting other analogy is a river can also be a guide for the journey. You've, heard, you've watched lots of movies and you, you know, maybe I watched the wrong movies. 
But you watch lots of movies where you know they get lost in the wilderness, but if they can find a river, they can start following it. Because the river goes somewhere. There's a love, another lovely analogy there. You see, God is promising more than just a way for us. He's promising life, provision, sustenance for the journey, long term. You know, in these two verses, in verse 18 and 19 of Isaiah 43, there's so much good news for his people. You know, and the heading in my Bible, at least, is, you know, Israel's only saviour. There's so much good news that he's their only saviour. God has a plan and a purpose for the time ahead of them. God's going to lift them out of the past and the failure, and he tells them not to live there because they're not, and they won't be defined by that. They're his people. God told his people that he's their only saviour. He's the only one that could and would rescue them out of exile, out of slavery, out of failure even as a people. And he would take them into a new future. And even though God's people, Israel, would not have been able to imagine how that he would make a way that he would and he would make provision. He would be their deliverer. Fast forward to our day. This is all true for us as well. And for us, this text beautifully points to Christ, doesn't it? They're thinking we're going to get home. Salvation out of exile means back in our own town, sleeping in our own beds. How many of you came back from holiday and got in your bed and thought, oh, my own bed? Yeah, sometimes that's really good, isn't it? It's the only good thing about going home after a holiday, by the way. (laughs) This text points us to Christ. We couldn't deliver ourselves either from slavery to sin, from failure. And we couldn't see how God would do that. But God told us too. In fact, he showed us that our past does not define us. We're not to dwell in our failure and live in our circumstances, in our fear or in our hurt. That God is our deliverer too. He made a way and he made provision for the journey. His way was his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our resource, our sustenance, the one that as God has, has made the way for us to be set free, the way for us to eternal life. Holy Spirit gives us sustenance and provides for us on that journey. And this has given us an eternal future. It's not just pie in the sky. It's not just in the future. It's now. He's given us everything we need in this life to guide us and to call us into many new years and many new futures and many new things that he's doing in our lives. So it was good news for them, but it's fantastic news for us, isn't it? See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way. I may. And I've given provision for you to walk that journey I've given you the Holy Spirit who's going to give you life, who's going to water you, who's going to make you strong, who's going to supply all that you need. But the text doesn't stop there, does it? Considering the history of God's people, considering their behavior, and, and maybe sometimes even considering our own too, it wouldn't be unreasonable to ask, why would God do that? Why would he? Why does God persist? Time and time again. But at the same time, why can we be so sure he is doing and will do what he says? 
Well, there's two reasons. First one is love. It says, I love you. You are my people. You are mine. I called you by name. He said, I'd never leave you or forsake you. I redeemed you. In verses 1, he talks about that. You're my people. In verse 4, he says, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give these people, these men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Another picture of Christ, isn't it? Someone in exchange for your life. Because I love you, the Father's love is what opened the door to his heart time and time again to his people, and it does to us. His love is faithful, it's not fickle. His people remain precious to him always. <laughs> you know, if you had a team of people that you had commissioned to get something done in the world, and they kept on failing so miserably, you'd probably sack them and get a new team, wouldn't you? I think I would, you know. Um, I don't know, nowadays in AFL they sack the coach first, right? So I don't know what that says about. But God, time and time again, he says, you're my people. I love you. I've chosen you. You are mine. His faithful love, not a fickle love. His people remain precious. Their circumstances and even their sin and failure did not diminish his love, didn't distract him from his commitment, his covenant promise to love them always. And that's true for you and me. Precious we are to him, didn't he, in the cross. We can look forward knowing that we enjoy that same commitment of love from our Father in heaven. And we can confidently count on him being with us. So the first thing is his love. But there's a second, and it's in our text. The second reason is purpose. If we look at verse 20 and 20, in the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So here he's, I'm giving you what you need. I give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself. And here's the kicker, the last line. That they might declare my praise. Why does he keep persisting with his people? Why does he keep saying, look to me, I'm doing a new thing. Provide what you need for that way is so that we might declare his praise. This was part of fulfilling the purpose God created for them. The people who I created for my glory. This was always his purpose for his people. We read it time and time again and it's true for us as well. We're created for the exact same reason. When we declare our praise for God, we're giving him glory. When we're doing it singing, when we're doing it giving a testimony, when we're doing it however we do it, we're giving God glory. And we're fulfilling one of the purposes we were created for. And that's why we read our second reading. Isaiah 61. Have a look at that. This is our purpose. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me and you to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening up the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, Instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he might be glorified. 
purpose. That gives you a hint of another great purpose for us. Not just this year, but every year. And this purpose is actually an anointing. It's an anointing. You're anointed for this. The anointing on the Lord is for us every day we live. His provision of Holy Spirit is the stream he's given us to tap into, to use to fulfill that purpose. This is why we exist, to carry out the call of God on our lives. So if the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he's on you because Acts says that it was poured on all flesh, right? Then we need to live our lives deliberately, live our lives intentionally, for him, looking for his work, looking for what he's doing, looking for where he's leading us. In our lives, personal lives, and choices we have to make in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, in society. Because in all these places there are the poor. Isaiah 61 talks about what we need to do with the poor. There are the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61 tells us what to do with the brokenhearted. There are captives. Isaiah tells us to set the captives free. There are captives to many things in our world nowadays. There are bound people. Isaiah 61 tells us we're anointed to deal with that. There are those who mourn. Isaiah 61 tells us that we're anointed to deal with that. And there's so much more. And they all need us to bring the good news that we've been anointed to bring. You see that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. That's what you've got. That's what God has for you this year. The good news that we've been anointed to bring. And this is what needs to motivate us to actually look ahead and to see each year and and look maybe at the, despite perhaps the hurts and disappointments or the failures, that God has a plan and a purpose for us as children. And not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church with all of our differences. And all of the distractions. If you know Jesus as your saviour, this is why you exist. To carry out this call of God. You're anointed to bring those things. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're left-handed or right-handed. It doesn't matter whether you're female or male. It doesn't matter whether you are youth, a young adult or an older person. It doesn't matter whether you're a swinging from the chandelier, a charismatic Pentecostal, or if you are a 5.4.3. Calvinist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you believe in vaccinations or you don't believe in it. It doesn't matter whether you love the government or hate the government. If you belong to Jesus Christ, this is your anointing. This is why you exist, not for those other things. Because the people that need the good news, it doesn't matter whether they're vaccinated or not vaccinated, whether they're whatever national... Because whatever they believe, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're not going to heaven. That's why we exist, not for all the other stuff. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. When you look at the new year, that's... Sorry about that, I went off my notes. If we will look to him, he's doing, see his way and provision. If we will take on that anointing, you have been anointed to bring good news, first and foremost. 
for God's people in exile who were probably all different too. They probably had disagreements. They were a mixed bunch. Their time was coming. They were going to be set free. And God said, look to me. Take care of the details. It's the same message for us. Let's look ahead. Let's learn from the past, but let's look ahead to what God's doing. Let's trust him to make a way. Let's trust him to take care of the details and move us in our calling. These are my days. These are our days. These are your days, and we need to spend them well. I have a friend, and I think I've told this here once before. I have a friend. He lives in Canada now from many years ago. And he says this, and I love this because it's just, I like it. I just like it. He, he gets into conversations with people, and he, he talks about, we were talking once about end times theology. And he says, you know, I have people that come up and ask me, and they say to me, you know, and he's quite, he's quite confronting, but people say, you think these are the last days? You know, people get into those conversations, you think these are the last days? And he says to them, wrong question. question not, uh, your question is not, are these the last days? The answer is, these are your last days. Not in a morbid sense. He said, but these are your last days. You don't get any others. You have one time to do what the will of God is in your life. Apparently it's now, because you're alive. So get on and do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for hope. We want to thank you for words of hope. We want to thank you for life. We want to thank you for your persistence. We want to thank you for uh, your love that, um, that as much as we try cannot be um, deflected or overtaken or distracted, that it's focused on us, that it's focused on delivering us from darkness to light, from failure and sin to life with you. Lord, we want to thank you for your words that, that remind us that if we will look to you and we will see what you're doing, if we will align ourselves with you, if we will take on your anointing, if we will walk the way that you make for us, Holy Spirit, if we will acknowledge the provision that you make in our lives, that you give us in our lives every single day, then we can move forward with confidence knowing that we don't need to be defined by circumstances or, or the things in our lives, but that we can move ahead with you. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us areas of our lives, circumstances, places of our lives where this is important? Would you show us how to move into 2022 with our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you are the I am always doing new things? And we need to not be looking for you in the wrong places, but look for you and what you're doing. God, I pray too that we'd recognize that our anointing first and foremost is not to sing great songs, to have the best messages, have the best organized church or, or have the best understanding of theology or know how to articulate it best or know how to argue best about what we think and we believe about whatever's going on in the world that our first and foremost anointing is to bring the good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the bound, those who mourn, those who are suffering, those who do not know you. Let us major on that and minor in the rest. Be led by you. Father, show us what that looks like as individuals and show us what that looks like as a community too. And we thank you again for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.